0: Love Talk Radio The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world BlakeRadio.com Music for your mind, body and soul radio at its best you are listening Hi, this is Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels on Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul. We've had some technical difficulties to start, but hopefully the rest of the show will go pretty smoothly. And this is Tuesday, April 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And our topic is, so you would submit to health care for broken bones? Not so fast think again. You know, I talk to people about the dangers of medicine, about the 880,000 people murdered each year at the hands of doctors. They say, well, but you know, if I had a broken bone, if I had a broken bone, I would trust a doctor with a broken bone. I would want a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, a specialist to handle that broken bone. And so I said to myself, well, what do orthopedic surgeons do? Well, they do surgery. And so the question then is, is surgical care for a broken bone superior to non-surgical care? Now, to be fair, what is non-surgical care? Non-surgical care means that a cast is applied. And and for those of you who don't know what a cast is, and I have to say I did not know what a cast was until I went to medical school, and I was shocked to see what a cast was, a cast is a long string, thin strip of gauze that's impregnated with plastic, plaster powder. You take this roll, dip it in some water, and then you wrap the person's area that you're going to apply the cast to with some uh, felt or foam. And then you take this roll and you unroll it around the person's extremity, including the joint next to the broken bone and just move it down, and there's all kinds of things you can do to make it neat, and you can turn it back and give the person a little more space. All things you can do. But basically, it holds the bone still so that it can heal in a proper position. This is a technique, a um, practical skill, that can be taught to anyone who has manual dexterity, and a lot of people um, do. So that is one example of non-surgical management of a broken bone. Another example of non-surgical management of a broken bone is the many um, splints and braces they now have available that have excellent immobilization. So the question I ask myself is, is surgical therapy better than simply applying an off-the-shelf splint or applying a cast? Now, you're going to wonder why, what made me think of this? Well, of course, the first thing that made me think of this was that there's so many people dying as a result of medical therapy, and people used to say, well, you know, all these drugs are are dangerous and ineffective, except, except for antibiotics, except for antibiotics, and so as you will recall, not too long ago, a week or two ago, we reviewed antibiotics, and how dangerous they were, and how ineffective they were, and how they kill more people than infections do. And so I said to myself, well, you know, the other thing people say is, for broken bones, that's the one thing, the one thing where medicine is surely superior. And so I said to myself, well, let me take a look. As always, let me take a look. And, as always, I was shocked and surprised. I'd like to take you back. And trace with you my experience with broken bones, with medical intervention, and without medical intervention. And then I'm going to share with you the research. This is done by doctors, by medical centers, cataloged in the National Library of Medicine at dot websites, what they say about surgical management of a broken bone. That means the doctor goes in there and does surgery, or simply applying a cast. My first upfront and personal experience with a broken bone was in medical school. Now, my brother broke a bone when I was very young, but I was too young to remember any details about either breaking the bone or getting it fixed. So in medical school, um, actually I was a resident, even after medical school, I was a resident, and I was on call that night. I got a call to come to the emergency room, and oh my God, this poor guy, Uh, I'm not sure he fell off his roof or what, but he broke the long arm, the long bone in his arm between the elbow and the shoulder. So this was broken. And they had a very dramatic x-ray. The bone was broken, but not only was it broken, but the two ends were totally separated and sitting next to each other a full inch apart. And they were overriding, that means one bone overlapped the other clearly by two to three inches. Oh, my God, I saw the x-ray. I said, oh, my God, this is awful. So, of course, you do what, what anybody would do. You call in the orthopedic surgeon. So, the orthopedic surgeon rushes in from home. And this is back in the, uh, in the early 80s, 1984. And so, the surgeon comes in, and he looks at this x-ray and says, mm-hmm, it's broken, mm-hmm, it's serious. We're going to need some intervention here. So they shot the guy up full of uh, novocaine and the orthopedic surgeon pulled this way and he pulled that way and he twisted. I said, oh, my God, thank God the orthopedic surgeon was there. And at the end of all that, he put plaster on the person's uh, upper arm and, of course, included the elbow and a split, uh, or I should say a um, little thing to hold his arm next to his chest so it's immobilized. All right, good. And then of course you always do it after x-ray. And so we did an x-ray after. Well, shiver me timbers, the after x-ray was identical to the before x-ray. So I had to scratch my head on this. Well, well, first of all, If the after x-ray is the same as the before x-ray, that means all that drama and everything the orthopedic surgeon did didn't move those bones one whit. So that's the first thing. Okay, so the first thing is, well, the orthopedic surgeon's impact was just about zilch there. Well, the next question is, I asked the orthopedic surgeon this question, I wasn't, of course, I was a resident, which means I had very low status. So I didn't have the status or authority to say, hey, man, you didn't do a thing. So I didn't say that. Instead, I said, well, golly, geez, doctor, is that arm going to heal? Those bones look pretty far apart, and they're going to be able to get together. And the surgeon explained to me, yes, they will, because when two bones break, each end of the bone puts out blood and, and some bone products, and these things form an area a sphere around both ends of the break and around the bones, and new bone forms. So, if those two ends are anywhere near, in this case, let me tell you, they were easily a full inch apart, then a callus, which is a uh, lump of bone, surrounds both ends and the overriding portion, forming a new bone that's very strong. And so he says, this person will do just fine. So, of course, I was relieved. So I didn't think much of that. And a couple of years later, this is the 80s, everybody was getting pin and plaster. What's pin and plaster? That means when a bone breaks, you put screws in, not you, the orthopedic surgeon, put screws in to hold the ends of the bone together. Another word for this is orif, O-R-I-F. That's open. That means the doctor cuts the skin and opens it. Reduction, that means it moves the ends of the bones, they line up nicely. And internal fixation, that means something is placed internally into the person's body, either a screw to screw both bones together or a screw plus a plate to really put those bones right next to each other so they can heal up really good. So uh, that's ORIF: open reduction and internal fixation. And basically means the doctor cuts you open and puts in um, some metal device, screws or screws in a metal plate to hold the bones together. All right, gotcha. So everybody was getting that done, especially as pertained to ankles. So if someone broke your ankle, the doctor would go in there, cut them open, and put in some screws to screw the two pieces of bone together that had broken. And this was uh, just really commonly done for just about everybody. And I said, oh, my God. What an awesome miracle, an awesome miracle. And um, as my medical career progressed, I began to see people who were fortunate enough to have been the recipient of this, in my mind, modern medical miracle. And what I found is many of these people, one, had experienced infection, two, still had pain years after, and three, um, the screws had to be removed and the bone that formed in the healing process was actually very weak because the part where the screws were placed, of course, no bone formed. And so you have then a weakened structure. And so it, it appeared that this open reduction internal fixation was not the miracle uh, that it was said to be. Then I uh, opened my practice, my medical practice. As many of you know, I became, uh, as a part time job, the medical director of a facility which was uh, a detention center for uh, teenagers who'd taken the wrong path in life. And so many of these people, when I got there, would get into fights and they would punch each other and they would break the metacarpal bones. We'll just call them hand bones, bones in the hand. Now, when I was in medical school and when these bones were broken, they would require a cast and surgery. However, a funny thing happened around about 1990, actually 1992, they developed these external fixation devices. We'll call it a splint. It's English. And you clip it on where the brake is and you hold it there and that's it. It, it holds the bones in alignment. person doesn't need a cast. They can move their fingers, and the hand heals. That's a splint that pretty much anybody can apply. Okay, so this is not uh, an orthopedic procedure. You can go online, and you can actually order these splints to have around in case you might get a handbrake. You guys know who you are. So as I was working as medical director in this this, uh, detention center, I noticed these hand breaks were fixed just by a simple application of the splint. Now, as a very well-behaved family practice doctor, I did not take any food off the plate of the orthopedic surgeons. These kids were sent straight to orthopedic surgery, and um, this little hand thing was applied for a cost of several hundred dollars. But again, no surgery necessary, hand field just uh, healed just fine. Didn't even need a splint. Now, of course, uh, once we uh, changed the diet in the prison, we had no more violence and no more fractures that way. That's another story. So that got me to thinking, is surgery really necessary for broken bones? Is it really necessary? Then another thing happened. My niece was walking down the stairs in high school, walking down the stairs. And she tripped, did not fall, and her ankle broke. All uh, right, her, yeah, it's her ankle, her ankle broke. And so she went to the doctor, went to the emergency room, excuse me, because of course, injury, limp, emergency. And of course, family had insurance, why not? So went to the emergency room, went x-ray and I said, mm-hmm, oh, it, that ankle's broken, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And of course, it was a Friday And so the orthopedic surgeon uh, wasn't going to come in. So, of course, she had to go to his office on Monday. So she came to his office on Monday. He showed the x-ray to her and her father and said, Aha, it's broken. We need to do surgery. We need to open this up, put some screws in and a plate, or that leg will be six inches shorter. Mind you, this is a uh, 15-year-old girl. Okay. So my brother a little concerned about the doctor's uh, extreme confidence. Actually, before he went to the doctor, he got the x-ray, came to my house and said, Jennifer, look at this x-ray. I look at the x-ray, and he says, her ankle's broken. I said, uh-huh. So, yeah, the ankle is broken. However, the fracture was non-displaced. That I means it was in an excellent position, and it did not penetrate the growth plate. This is all medical leave in case anybody asks you. So I said to my brother, There's no need for surgery here. She can get a cast, or she could even get a very good splint. It would take care of this if she would agree to use crutches. And so my brother went to the orthopedic surgeon armed with this information. I also told my brother, well, you know, there's one, two, three, four growth plates between her waist and her tip of her toe, at least four. And this one growth plate, even if it were violated, even if it never grew another another millimeter, would only account for at most half an inch of her future height, and a simple higher heel in a shoe would take care of that. So this is not something that's going to result, it's going to measurably impact her height. So he goes to the doctor, and the doctor gives him the lecture about absolute necessity of surgery. Your daughter's going to be a freak of nature if you don't get the surgery. My brother stood firm and said, no surgery, none, whatever, but you can put a cast on if you want to. Long story short... It's now, geez, 10 years ahead, and her leg has healed perfectly. Uh, Both legs are the same height, and no problem, whatever. (laughs) Very, very interesting. So what prompted me to do tonight's show was, of course, the uh, last straw. So my assistant called me and says, oh, I can't come to work today. My father was hit by a car and broke his leg. I said, oh, my God, it sounds terrible. I said, geez, I said to myself, you know, if that was me and my broken leg, I wouldn't get anything done to it, but I can't really say that to her because, you know, maybe surgery is beneficial for this. And her father did not break just any bone. Oh, no, he broke the anterior tibial plateau. Those of you who don't know what that is, that's the big bone your knee sits on that makes it possible for you to stand up. That's a very important bone. And so I said to myself, let me check. Let me do a check. Let me look online and search the literature and see if there are any studies that talk about fixing the anterior tibial tibial plateau with or without surgery. So that was the question. Would surgery be a better deal for her father? Now, I want you to know that when I took a look at this or I went looking for this, I had it made up in my mind that it surely would be. I mean, my gosh, the big bone, weight-bearing bone, surely um, it would be better to have the bone repaired surgically. Was I shocked, 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 to find out that with an anterior tibial plateau fracture, even if it was displaced, that the outcome in terms of future function would be the same. I said, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding. Surely this can't be. But it was. Of course, her father, this is in another country, had signed himself out, of course, against medical advice because he did not want to have have any surgery. Didn't want to have any surgery done. So then the the issue then is uh, how can you blame him? How can you say to him, hey, you know, you've got to have this surgery when there's not not evidence that it would be superior. So when that happened, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why stop here? Let me look at some other uh, injuries. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at hip fractures. Hip fractures of all things. I went to medical school and I want you to know, they told us that if anyone had a hip fracture, by golly, you have had to get them in there for surgery because if you didn't get them in there for surgery, oh boy. So they're going to die. They're going to die. People are going to die Of a hip fracture and so I just well took it on faith that 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 was actually the case people were of course going to die if they had a hip fracture and what I didn't uh, so I, I figured I'd look it up and sure enough They compared 25 cases of people who had uh, hip fractures and did not get surgery to 21 cases of people who had hip fracture and did get surgery. And what they found was there was no statistically significant difference in outcome between the two groups. What does that mean? That means... While there were more people in the surgery group that had complete recovery, the difference could be explained by chance and chance alone. So they did not find a substantial difference in the two treatment groups. Oh, my God. Holy cow. Well, that was outrageous. Uh, that was outrageous. I said, why, why, why bother then if the outcome from either one was about the same? Now, the other thing I took a look at, I was like, wait a minute. How can you tell me that putting screws and putting a plate in can't be helpful? I mean, intellectually, you'd say, well, God, it's, it's got to be helpful. It's got to be. It's got to be. Well, if you take a look at this, uh, of the side effects of and complications of the surgery. It's like, oh, well, now I know. So complications of open reduction and internal fixation include infection. Well, you know, that makes sense. You go to a hospital where infections are rampant. Yeah, so that's that's it. Infection. <coughs> Excuse me. What else? Swelling. Well, you know, swelling, you think if you're going to cut a hole in you, then swelling wouldn't be that big a problem. But apparently it is when they do surgery. I guess they do a lot of moving around there and increase the inflammation at least uh, temporarily. Movement of the installed hardware. This is a very nice term for the screws come loose and the plates fall apart, and all this stuff can shift around inside the body. Next, the recovery process can take months. Because, get this, bones grow slowly. Other factors that can affect recovery are location, severity of the break, age of the person, and type of bone broken. So apparently, these are these are complications of surgery that are not complications of simply applying a cast or not doing surgery. Why? A lot of times, the bones are broken and the skin is not broken, in which case, there is no infection unless heaven forbid, the surgeon decides to cut the skin. And swelling, again, the doctor is going in there, disrupting a lot of tissues to put in plate and screws. And, of course, just because he puts them in there doesn't mean they stay where they're supposed to be. And the recovery process can be forever. Now, my mother, bless her soul, (laughs) had a car accident when I was in college. And um, she broke her knee. And they put in screws. And, of course, the screws got infected and caused her pain and misery for many, many years. And finally, one year, she taught the doctor into taking out screws. When the doctor took out the screws, she had no more pain and all of a sudden had the use of her leg. Now, had they not done any surgery at all, it seemed to me she would have been just fine. And so she experienced the uh, pain and disability um, of surgical intervention for a bone fracture. Now, mom also went on uh, many years later, decades later, to have a fracture of her hip bone, also known as the femur. Now, she had a fracture. There's all kinds of places to break it. But if you break the neck, the ball, then the feeling is you absolutely have to have surgery because the blood supply to the neck is very minuscule. Well, mom broke it a little below the neck, but still, she had insurance and, of course, uh, had surgery. Now, this is a hip fracture, uh, strictly speaking, but the question is, how come with surgery, can actually be just as bad or no better than without hip surgery. I think if we look at mom's case, we can actually have an illustration of this. So she goes in, she gets the surgery, everything goes fine. The surgeon puts the screws in, screws everything together, and mom is uh, sent to the hospital ward to recoup. And mom is put on uh, an aspirin a day, which, of course, as you know, can cause ulcers and bleeding, and people can die of that. And then, of course, because the, ul- the aspirin caused her upset, they put her on a H2 blocker. And then, because, of course, she was having pain, they put her on a very strong narcotic and said, now, Miss Daniel, you take this narcotic every single day before physical therapy. So mom, of course, obediently did this, and she began wetting her pants and forgetting things like uh, the names of her children. And this went on for a bit, and finally she uh, complained to me about this. Now, let's just stop right here and say, if this was all that was done, you've taken a person who, before they went to the hospital for the hip fracture, was able to walk, talk, dress themselves, and use the toilet. Now, it's uh, 10 days after surgery, and you have someone who's wetting their pants and who's forgetful, and who's on their way to being a narcotic addict. Just this alone would be enough to make the post-surgical outcome worse than the non-surgical if she had never had surgery. Now, mind you, this was a very healthy 80-year-old, so she didn't have... She was very fortunate. She didn't get a hospital acquired infection. She didn't have excessive bleeding. These are all surgical complications she could have had, but thank God, did not have. And so just the routine management standard of care for her particular situation could be expected to turn her into a narcotic addict who wet her pants and couldn't remember anything. But it didn't stop there. So now she goes to physical therapy. So now she goes to rehab center for a month to rehabilitate And so they say, well, Mrs. Daniel, you need to renovate your home and put in a wheelchair ramp to accommodate your new disability. And we're going to rehabilitate you to the point where you can walk maybe in parallel bars for short distances and use a wheelchair for everything else. And so mom calls me up and tells me about this bright prognosis. I said, no, 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 mom. You tell them you're 80 years old. Family's having a big 80-year-old party for you, and you need to be able to walk across the room and blow out your candles, by golly. And so she said, oh, okay. So she went and told them that she needed to walk across the room to blow out her candles as soon as she got out of the hospital. And they said, oh, okay. We're going to change your physical therapy plan then. Again, had she stuck with the standard physical therapy program, she would have been discharged in a wheelchair with worse mobility than what she had before her injury, which was she was walking independently. But just by having someone that she was able to speak to who said to her, look, change those physical therapy objectives so that you, your goal is to walk independently without assistance. And sure enough, she achieved that goal within the four weeks of a lot of physical therapy. Now this brings up An important aspect of why surgical management by putting in screws and hardware might be no better than simply non-surgical management. Now in the case of moms and 80 year olds, the literature says that for people that old you want to do surgery so you can get them up and moving sooner and keep them out of bed. However, her physical therapy program was just the opposite. It would have kept her perpetually bound to a wheelchair with pressure on her, called the cubitus area. In English, that's her, her butt. And at risk, of course, for serious ulcers and sores and premature death. So a lot of what goes on in terms of orthopedic intervention that leads to outcomes worse, or no better than a splint or a cast it has to do as much with the type of fracture and not only what's done in the operating room or in the hospital in terms of bleeding or infection, but also in terms of afterwards with physical therapy and mobilization. Now, in the studies they look at hip fractures, they actually found the number of days spent in the hospital was no different if a person got surgical intervention with screws or if they were just treated with either a cast or a splint. And I'll tell you, the splints they have nowadays are really absolutely awesome. They uh, can be set so that they're at a fixed angle, so they really provide immobilization that back in the 80s and 70s just really was not possible. And so these um, braces and splints are very, uh, very good. Now, I want to go to this website by um, Intermountain Healthcare. Now, Intermountain Healthcare is... An awesome healthcare facility and they um, do these kinds of surgeries. And so they have a little thing in their site telling you what this is. And so what they're saying is uh, an open reduction internal fixation is a type of surgery used to fix broken bones. It's a two-part surgery. First, the broken bone is reduced or put back into place. Well, first, before that, the skin is cut. Next, an internal fixation device is placed on the bone. This can be done with screws, plates, rods, or pins that are used to hold the broken bone together. And the reason is the surgery is done to repair fractures that would not heal correctly with casting or splinting alone. Now, just from my personal experience, that's absolutely not true. Now, not only do these fractures heal correctly with casting or splinting alone, but the person's level of functionality appears to be no worse. Now, does that mean that everyone who gets a cast does well? No, but everyone who gets surgery doesn't do well either. So problems for the procedure, according to this site, are rare. But all procedures have some risk. Your doctor will review some potential problems like infection, bleeding, that a lot of blood vessels, reaction to anesthesia, and blood clots. These are complications that you have when you have this surgery done. In other words, the implication is these are complications you don't have when you don't have the surgery done. Very interesting. And so they go on to describe, um, you know, what uh, what to expect. And they show nice pictures of uh, cuts and things and little plates and screws. And this is A pretty clear description of the procedure. I mean the outcome is very rosy that they describe not only that, but the fact that you don't have a choice. And actually you do, have a huge choice because, again, like I said, the outcomes from the surgeries appear to be no than without the surgery. And so It seems that surgical intervention for fractures is just about as necessary as antibiotics for a cold. It's amazing. It is just absolutely amazing. And to my mind, you know, really, um, pretty, pretty uh, shocking. Now, here is another, uh, this is from the UK website, and they're talking about surgery, orthopedic surgery, um, in the case of heel, heel fractures and heel spurs. It says, surgery is often no more than the last resort when pain is hard to deal with and it may be ineffective. In other words, it's no more than a last resort. It's not effective. One technique that may help, known as medically as gastrocnemius release, careful releases, carefully releases some of the tension in the calf muscle. That means the doctor cuts the calf muscle and the tendons Ouch. Taking the strain off the inflamed heel means you also lose control of that heel. It can be done as a minimally invasive technique through a tiny incision and again, As I said, it does not mean that anything is uh, more effective. So let's take some questions. Looks like we have some pretty good questions here. Any uh, here in the um, chat room, those of you online, you can click your uh, button And as soon as I find that window, ah, here we are. I can ask answer questions. All right. So questions from the chat room. Okay, move this over. Okay, question. If I'm not a doctor, let's just say you're not a doctor, how would I know how to set the bone properly after the break so it would heal properly if doing it on my own? Well, I'll tell you exactly what they told us in medical school. Splint the bone where it lies. Yes, sir, Bob. Splint it where it lies. That's it. How's that for some (laughs) advice? That's what your doctor was taught. Splint it where it lies. Now, we can modify that a little bit, but I would say if someone's broken a bone, then you want to support the joint next to the bone, you know, put a pillow on it or something. Lay the person in some kind of anatomically sensible position. In other words, lay them on their back or probably their back so you can see two sides of the body. And so you're going to see two sides of the body. If they look the same, except you got one part that's swollen up because the bone is broken... And you can splint that pretty much right in the position where you found it. And that is actually what's recommended. Just splint it right where it lies. That's what your doctor's taught in medical school. And uh, even though you're not a doctor, that's what I would do. Now, the other thing you can do, which I find just shocking and it's really awesome, you can actually go online, Google the limb that you think has the broken bone, and Google splints or arm, arm splints, arm fracture splints, and you're going to see some pictures of some pretty awesome devices that once applied, that arm or that leg or that knee or that elbow or that wrist is not going to be moving. And many doctors now use these devices instead of casting. And so if you can buy one of these casts yourself for a fraction of the price of a doctor visit, And many of these casts are already angled at just the right angle that the joint needs to be splinted at. So you don't need to figure it out. How is that? So you you can just Google these things, and then you can see pictures of the splints. And you can actually, once you see a picture of the splints used for the bone, you can take a look at this splint, look at your bone, whatever. And then you can go right down to the local Walmart or Rite Aid and buy the exact same splint. You just want to make sure you're buying a splint for fractures, not a splint for sprains. Because the fracture splints are, um, they're stiffer, they have better immobilization, um, and they're, you know, pre-made at just the right angle for that particular joint to heal. And for every bone in the body, um, the orthopedic surgeon will, will splint it at a certain angle, no matter what, because that's the angle of greatest function. And so these splints, that are made to take the place of casting are already set at that angle. So this is really like going down to the auto parts shop and buying your own windshield wiper and changing your windshield wipers. It's about that complicated. So in other words, your new windshield wiper is already the right size, your new windshield wiper already has the wiggling that you pop right in. And so, you want to get a splint that's for the joint right next to the bone that you think is broken. And notice I said you think it's broken because if you're doing it yourself at home, who knows? You don't have an x ray. Maybe it's not broken. What the heck? It hurts. You can't use it. You know, get a splint. The other question is is it an emergency to get a broken bone fixed? The answer is absolutely not. As you can see in the the one example I gave you, the orthopedic surgeon said, hey, not interrupting my weekend, see you on Monday. And if you look at these studies, many of these fractures that were not treated with surgery were later treated with surgery two, three, five months down the road. So that a surgical, that a broken bone needs to be set immediately is simply a conditioned reflex. Uh, there's no evidence that that's the case. Certainly, in my experience and observation, it's not the case. In the online medical studies done by doctors, that's not the case. So there is no such thing as a medical, um, as a fracture that's an emergency, especially a closed fracture. Now, closed fracture means the skin is not broken. An open fracture, the skin is broken. And so there, all bets are off. You know, you don't know where the bone the, the bone is protruding out of the skin, you might need to clean things up a bit, um, and you might not have the nerve to have a friend give a yank on the hand or the foot to pop that bone uh, back in place. So, okay. Ah, Replays, replays of radio shows, please allow two weeks. <laughs> okay, another question. Apparently, some people are suffering from surgery deficiency. Absolutely, absolutely. It appears to be that a lot of these surgeries, open reduction internal fixation, that means the person is cut open and screws in place, are situations where um, the person would have done fine if this procedure had not uh, had not been done. One example of this coming up is that uh, those of you in the audience who are more than 30 years old, first I'm 58 years old, so I'm even older, everybody knows the kids when they were young who broke his collarbone or clavicle. And if you remember way back when in the old days, the person was simply put in a figure of eight bandage to pull their shoulders back so the clavicle would heal. And a lot of them healed really just fine. In fact, most of them healed just fine. And so recently... In the past uh, two weeks. Um, A study was completed showing that when they go in and do surgery to fix these clavicles, uh, they get pretty good results. So now they've changed the standard of care to mandate surgery for every single clavicle fracture to to recommend surgery. Again, those of us old-timers, all we ever saw was bones or clavicles that were treated without um, surgery. Okay, can you provide examples in nature where water is in its distilled form? Okay, so when water evaporates from the earth and goes up to the clouds it is at that point distilled and then it falls from the clouds. So if you have a water catchment system and you're catching rainwater and we're guessing the air is not polluted, then what you're catching is basically distilled water. Okay. Okay. We have a question about Vitality Capsules. Okay. Dr. Daniels, when taking Vitality Capsules, both my wife and I notice back pain near the kidneys a little while after taking them. It's not overwhelming and it's not constant, but it does happen. Do you know why that is? Yes, that would be because you are mildly dehydrated. You need to increase your water. So in other words, when you have a bowel movement, one let's say an extra bowel movement, we'll call it that, when you have a bowel movement with herbs um, and your body wasn't going to have a bowel movement, then your body, in having that bowel movement, takes extra moisture out of your body. And in fact, not drinking enough water might be the reason why you're not having bowel movements on your own the way you would like to. So increase your water intake. So in other words, if you weigh 150 pounds, then you want to drink somewhere between two and three quarts of water a day. So it's one quart per 50 or 60 pounds of body weight. So that would be uh, for a 150-pound person between two and three quarts of water a day, just an example. So the answer is increase your intake of water. And... The reason your wife and you are both noticing it is probably because um, you have similar water drinking habits. Okay. Hockey goalie, snowboarding son, looking at knee surgery, was told it could be cleaned out but not made like new. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Red alert, red alert, red alert. What they're saying here is with the surgery... Your son may not be able to return to being a hockey goalie or snowboarder. So, if they're talking about cleaning it out, you know you can do that on your own with you know castor oil applications, um, with vix vapor rub applications, with changing the diet to hundred um, percent organic, locally grown, um changing out the meats to Organic, no hormones, no pesticides. So, sounds like your doctor is gently preparing you for a less than optimal outcome. So, I would definitely be uh, reluctant to take the doctor up on that one. If he tells you you're not going to be like new and you've got a, a son, we'll say a teenage son here, uh, you know, quite frankly, A teenager who, let's say, stops being a hockey goalie and cuts back on his snowboarding and cleans up his diet and lifestyle should be able to regenerate a knee that's just like new. All right. Meniscus damage. Uh Uh-huh. What do you do for meniscus damage? Well, if I was an orthopedic surgeon, I would say I would recommend arthroscopy. But arthroscopy has been proven to be ineffective. So, since I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend something that's proven ineffective. I mean, gee whiz. So, what is meniscus? Meniscus is cartilage. So, you want to eat gelatin, which is basically animal cartilage boiled up. And when you eat it, you get your building blocks that you need to make a new meniscus. So, there you go. Your meniscus damage. So you want to take uh, gelatin. I don't know how old or how heavy this person is, so it's difficult to know what the dose might be. Also, disclaimer, whatever you hear in the show is not medical therapy, not not, uh, intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any condition. Use this information at your own risk. Okay. So... Are bones like a magnet? They will find the proper connection on their own? No, they are not like a magnet. Uh, That's not the way they work. There are many types of breaks. One type of break is a clean break where the bones break and then they override each other. In that case, what happens is the bones form a matrix of fluid around the two broken ends and the bones in between. And that matrix, itself becomes bone and holds the two ends together uh, kind of in a side-by-side position. That's one fix. Another fix, let's say you have many broken pieces. So you have a long bone. uh, Let's just take the knee and the ankle. The knee is fine, the ankle is fine. In between, you got a bunch of fragments, but there's no break in the skin. Those fragments, if on x-ray, they're within half an inch of each other, they will heal just fine. All you need to do is give that, you know, give the bone some support. But a lot of doctors will rush in and do surgery for that, and a lot of patients will look at the x rays which is extremely frightening. Oh, my God. And they'll demand surgery, the patient will, thinking, oh, I have so many breaks and so many pieces. They'll never get together again, which, of course, no, they won't get together again, but they don't have to get together again. And again, what happens is your body exudes this uh, liquid which forms which is a matrix that connects all these pieces. And then that matrix calcifies and you have basically a new bone, a new connection. (laughs) All right, so no, they're not a magnet. It's not like the bones migrate. The bones put out a matrix. You can think of them as putting out um, a spidey web that includes both broken pieces of bone and then the spidey web solidifies to a bone or rock hard and hold the bones in place. That's one way of thinking about it, which is actually not too far from what actually happens. Macrodanos. Is the form of vitamin C known as sodium ascorbate crystals as effective as ascorbic acid? I would not do that because sodium ascorbate has salt, the sodium added, and that can cause problems and throw off your sodium balance. So I would just use ascorbic acid. I hear that high dosing, 100, Kilograms per milligram, you wouldn't want to use 100 kilograms of uh, ascorbic acid for sure. Okay, so I don't know how high you want to go on your ascorbic acid dose. But personally, I'm with Linus Pauling. Whatever dose causes diarrhea, your proper dose is somewhere less than that. All right, remember being told the only time you need to see a doctor if, if you suspect a broken bone is if the blood circulation is affected. That's as good a reason as any because the blood circulation is almost never affected. It says take pulse often in the suspected limb. Yeah. what they're saying here is if you've broken an artery. That's another issue. It takes a lot to break an artery, but let's just say you break an artery. If you break an artery... It's not a secret. You get a tremendous amount of swelling. I mean, it's impressive. And so the thing you do at that point is apply direct pressure, firm pressure uh, for a full five minutes at least, to stop the artery from uh, bleeding. But if that's the reason to go see the doctor, then I'll tell you you won't be seeing them very often. If you have a friend or relative who accidentally overdoses from drugs or has alcohol poisoning and can't sleep it off, is there a way to treat them naturally so they don't have to go to the hospital, be interviewed, and causing a whole other set of problems? (laughs) It depends on how conscious the person is. If the person's awake and they're able to drink, then you can pump them full of uh, charcoal, activated charcoal. That's about what they would do at the hospital, except if it's a heroin overdose, in which case they would give Narcan, which would reverse the heroin immediately. But let's just say you're not dealing with heroin and you know it. Then there's really not much more the doctor's going to do. If the person's able to drink for you, give them charcoal and then do an enema. That, that takes care of the in out of it. And then if you know it's alcohol, then you can give them milk thistle uh, and uh, B-complex 50. And that brings them around very quick. In fact, milk thistle is known as the um, hangover antidote. But water, 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 activated charcoal, and a little enema to get the stuff out. My question. My daughter broke her bone near her elbow. X-rays showed that this special bone was bent and that if it didn't move back, that it would cause that arm to not grow right, and therefore we had to get the operation to fix it. It was a bone that had to grow right. She was eight years old at the time. You know, I don't know what the angle was. Let's just say it was bent and the bend was small, let's like say 15 degrees. And an eight-year-old, eight-year-olds are growing very quickly. Um, it's likely that that would, that would plaster over and heal itself and straighten out very nicely. Why? The reason it would straighten out nicely it's because what determines how a bone grows is the muscle. And because you have the muscles lined up, you got a muscle going from the elbow to the wrist, and from the shoulder to the elbow. So you have all these muscles exerting force on the bone, influencing its growth path. Because of that, and because she's an active eight-year-old, chances are a simple cast would have taken care of it. Um, it is amazing. Uh, I just can't even tell you amazing. How many bones that are that are angulated and crumpled end up growing very straight because the body adds onto the bone and models it again according to the pull and the forces of the muscle so even though she's got this break in her bone, anatomically you know she's a human being, so she's going to get pulled, these pulls and these forces are going to cause that bone to basically um, smooth itself right out. Again, this is an eight-year-old. Now, she's 38 years old. That would be another matter. But she's eight years old, so she's got quite a bit of growth left, and so it's likely that would straighten out. Again, that's my non-expert opinion. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, just a family practice doctor. Is bone broth good for healing bones? Yes, bone broth is simply the homemade form of gelatin. If you have fused vertebrae, is that the same as this matrix? fused use vertebrae. Um, excessive toxins in your body combined with immobility in your immune system puts these toxins in your vertebrae causing diffusion. Can or should anything be done about it? If it's not interfering with your activity, I don't really see any reason to do anything um, about it at all. All right, so we're at the end of our show here. So, what's up for next week? Next week is the next health alert or scare. What should you do? Take precautions, do as you're told, or shrug it off? How do you decide? So, next week, I, Dr. Daniels, will share a worry free strategy to prioritize your health concerns and apply this quick and easy way to process the next CDC scare, health alert, or and sleep well at night. So, tune in next week, and of course, think happens.